everybody, one and all. Welcome to another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles, and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend, Charles. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend as well, Dylan, and... (laughs) Um, for those listeners at home, we're still kind of reeling from some big, uh, big friends talking fantasy news here. <laughs> I feel like reeling has a negative connotation. We're celebrating, Charles. We are celebrating. It, it's, cr- I'm just like, kind of starstruck, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> uh, we got a retweet and a comment from the one and only mark lawrence where he let us know that he listened to the podcast uh, that we <laughs> released i guess it'll be a couple weeks back uh, well at the time we're recording right now the red sister episode dropped this morning yes. and like it's been maybe an hour or two since mark lawrence has uh replied to our episode announcement on twitter saying a great listen many thanks <laughs> and then not only was that like that was enough to send me into like a what like crazed moment but he then uh re he shared it on his page he retweeted it on his twitter account which is like unbelievable <laughs> yeah starstruck's a good word yeah. for or a good phrase for it charles i I mean, we've loved Mark Lawrence's work since years before we started a podcast. You read uh, the Broken Empire trilogy before I did and then recommended it to me. And we've just always really appreciated everything Mark Lawrence does out there. So to think that, A, he'd even... bother to interact with us on twitter and b <laughs> that he'd actually like listen to us talk about his book is <laughs> hard to believe for me i know and then to go on to say a great listen <laughs> and then to retweet is you know it's like so many things of which we're very grateful and so we're still coming off the the high energy that we uh, <laughs> we just were like texting each other like dude did you see this what the, <laughs> what's happening to our to our twitter right now so uh <laughs> Um, hi, Mark Lawrence, if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> Which is crazy. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Thanks well, for listening. <laughs> Charles, I could uh, talk about how excited I am about our little interaction with Mark Lawrence for a full episode, but I think we'll try to do the listeners a favor and uh, use that yes. enthusiasm toward chatting about the next book in the book of the ancestor which is gray sister by the great mark lawrence yes let's do it book of the ancestor book two what i would like to talk about before we get too much into the book is that mark lawrence started like at least in my version of the book he started with like you know i think that's like what you need to know so far or something like that Mm -hmm. and that's something that I don't see too much of in fantasy, but I really enjoyed it. Even though I was going straight from racist red sister to gray sister, I still was like, this is a really cool idea that Mark Lawrence put in here. He's like, here's what you need to know. And just to prepare yourself for the plot coming up. And it was, um, 
it was only like the story so far, I think is what he called it. And it was just like a few quick plot points, a brief description of the world. And I, you know, it's something that I wish more fantasy authors would do, honestly, but I really liked it and I appreciated it. You can tell that Mark Lawrence cares a lot about the reader experience. He's obviously an avid reader of fantasy himself and he takes a lot of steps to make that experience as easy as it possibly can be. And he he did something else similar that I noted back in Red Sister that he has I don't know how to pronounce this dramatis personae is that do you know personae, how to say that, Charles? Maybe. Personae? Anyway, the list of characters that you often find in the back of many novels, he put that right up in the front and put a note that said, uh, you know, sometimes you might not notice until you've finished the book if you put it in the back. So he's putting it in the front. <laughs> and I think this the story so far thing is all part of Mark Lawrence being <laughs> what I perceive as very pragmatic about helping <laughs> readers get the most out of the content he's putting out there. Yeah. I appreciate it. Pragmatic's a good word. He, a lot of his characters can also be considered very pragmatic as well. So, uh, And what it allows you to do when you get all that stuff out of the way is you can just start the prologue like, and just full immersive action right away. Some authors do a really good job of reminding us what happened in the narrative of the story at the beginning, it's like, oh, this is so-and-so who last still remembering what she, you just went through in the last book and is now like doing this, as opposed to just being like, look, here's what happened last time. Now let's just jump into it. And that's what this book does. I like, I had texted you when we were first, like when I first started, I'm like, dude, the beginning of this book rips, man. It's like <laughs> right away you are in the front of it you have like house tasses like marching up on the all of a sudden like the convent is under siege right in this flash forward moment yeah and then it goes straight to sister kettle both moments are like super interesting action-packed like almost movie-esque i'm like this is like this is ripping (laughs) this is awesome you know just it's so nice to just like get right into the action especially for like a second book in a trilogy it's like Let's not rehash all the details. I gave you those. Let's just jump right into the into the action, which great. Yeah, it's cool to see it dive right in where we got what felt like a conclusion to the story being told in Red Sister when that book finished up. And by the way, uh, this will have spoilers for Book of the <laughs> Ancestor up through Gray Sister. Uh, so just a heads up. Um, we did finish uh, Red Sister on a note that's like, okay, we told the story that needs to be told here, but there were some things left to resolve that were, as you said, Charles, pretty action-packed, and <laughs> we got to see Apple fighting some folks and saving Kettle and <laughs> what she has to deal with on her way to doing that. It's pretty interesting. You get some different perspectives here that you don't get in Red Sister, which is holding so tight to only Nona's perspective. Exactly. And I just was, you know, the, this whole thing with, with Clara being like, of course it's her, who else would let me go? It's like, wow, okay, we're, <laughs> we're like starting this off with a stinger right away, you know, so, so much fun. And um, then the whole thing with Apple and Kettle was really touching. You got, you get to see way more of their, 
character in these moments right in the beginning. They were kind of like side characters in Red Sister. And now you get to see more behind the scenes of their personal lives and their personal relationship. And it's super fun and almost like a it it's almost like kind of fun and campy in, a, in kind of a way where she's like poison me, you know, and I was like, oh, it's, this is kind of cool. So I, I just really I was all I was all in on this book right from the first like 10 pages, you know. I'm glad to hear that, Charles. You know, I, I love Book the Ancestor. Uh, while we were still talking a little bit about the prologue there, I want to say I love how you get in the prologue into Nona's perspective a bit, and she's pissed off, and we know anger is something that is a huge fuel for Nona. And she has all this rage, and it says, her friend lay dying, and then in italics it just says her friend and you know we have our i think this will be out by the time we're releasing the current episode that we're talking about now we'll have a theme of friendship in red sister episode yeah so let's see there um the theme of friendship will come out before this yeah so yeah it already happened so you'll know that friendship is such an important theme, <laughs> hence the title, uh, in not just Red Sister, but also Grey Sister and the whole Book of the Ancestor. So you get right back to, all right, Nona might be in the future. She might be this fearsome warrior that everyone's afraid of, but friendship is so important to her. And just those two words in italics, her friend, are so powerful i felt like because you know what that means to nona absolutely and we we know um ara really well and Mm -hmm. and we know clara really well and so we do we know what nona's capable of when she gets mad so like this is a really like a lot of times when you have the middle book in a trilogy sometimes you feel like you have to rehash some of the old stuff and try and just carry you into the final moments but Lawrence structured it in such a way he's like why can't we just get right to the action like everyone knows these characters already you wouldn't read this before Red Sister and I just really appreciated the pacing of it and um, it really it really sets up the rest of this book Coolio Charles Coolio we then jump Two years into the future. Nona's about 14 now, and she is in mystic class. And we get acquainted with a little bit of a different cast of characters, some of which are new and some of which are old, but maybe didn't take as prominent roles in the previous book. Basically, Nona's closest friends aren't yet in mystic class. So we've got the people she's closest with are Darla. Darla is the gerent who actually Nona, when she first got into gray class, had gotten into a bit of a fight with. Yeah. But now they've gotten closer. And Zol, who probably at this point Nona would not yet call a friend, but at least someone she's familiar with who she's come to like a little bit more. And then we get to know Joelle Namsis, who pretty quickly starts filling into 
that role that we thought Aura was going to fill into in the first book right. of the spoiled brat who is just mean to our protagonist and pretty vindictive. And jo- Joelle, unlike Aura throughout this book, does not ever really reveal herself <laughs> to have any more, I guess, maybe she has more depth. Uh, not really, though. <laughs> like, no. I like feel like from she's page twenty-two, she was very much a bad person, yeah. and she was very much the an antagonist for Nona. She was like bullying her, trying to get her in trouble, kept bringing up her dead friend, you yeah. know, like all these like not cool things. And you know, she's right out of the bat, chapter two is just being manipulative for the sake of wanting to put her down. And it it does kind of feed more into that dynamic we were talking about that Lawrence subverted in Red Sister of this like bully character, mm. and I definitely can 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 see um, Jolie entering that role for sure in these moments. Right. We mentioned characters that we couldn't help but think of from other novels that take place in the Magic Academy, like. Ambrose from the King Killer Chronicle, and we also mentioned Draco Malfoy, and mm-hmm. these characters that feel a little more one-dimensional than Aura ends up being. Joelle ends up being a little more one-dimensional. Too, she is so. following into that Draco Malfoy role for sure. Well, we end up getting an altercation between Nona and Joelle pretty quick where Nona encouraged by Kiot, which is a devil that has taken just, I don't know if taken hold of probably, probably wouldn't be the right way to phrase it, but got in into Nona and is kind of a voice in the back of her head, even if he hasn't possessed her or anything like that. And he's encouraging her to say some pretty messed up things and eventually almost choke out Joelle, but Nona is able to hold back. She's prompted to to try to choke Joelle because Joelle is saying some messed up things about Hessa, which is Nona's belated friend. What were your thoughts on this interaction? What stuck out to me in that moment was our introduction to Kyote. You know, it's, it's not, we don't, at the moment he's introduced, I'm just going to say he, but I don't, don't really know. I think it's a him. Um, but Kyote is um, like just Mark Lawrence writes Kyote into the story like he was there the whole time. You know, we just kind of jump into it. And Kyote is like across the back, across the skin of her back, Kyote trembled with laughter. It's kind of, and we're just like, who's, who's Kyote now? <laughs> and why is he like across her back like this whole idea of demons and how they work and stuff we didn't really get into at this point but what that allows us to do is realize that there's something kind of maniacal going on with uh with nona and i just thought it was a really interesting way to introduce kyote into the um into the fray here in the like before you know in that beginning thing before the prologue, he does mention there's a character called Kyote and you're not supposed to know who he is. So I was like, okay, this is this character. We're not supposed to know who they are. And I just kind of went with it. And I thought it was a great 
introduction and it kind of builds off of what was only said in these ominous passing phrases from Ramsel Taxis in the in the end of Red Sister Ray Mole at the end of Red Sister. So that was what stuck out to me in that scene the most. And I really thought that using Jolie as kind of the thing that triggers these vengeful, angry, violent thoughts from Nona, which then wakes up Keot, was a, a really interesting dynamic. I felt the same way, Charles. <laughs> Following Red Sister, it's very natural to be curious about these demons, given that Raymond was full of them, and he was saying, <laughs> they won't let me die. <laughs> and it's like, what is going on with these demons? And Mark Lawrence gives us some more information through Keote and gives us an idea of what the experience of having just one of these demons inside you could be like. Obviously, Raymond had more. And Keote is such an interesting character added to this. I think he makes the experience of being in Nona's perspective so much more fun because he basically gets to be almost literally sometimes the devil on the shoulder, maybe the devil yeah. in the shoulder. But <laughs> <Hey -o>. he, <laughs> he ends up being almost uh, emblematic in some ways of this side of Nona that she's fighting with, which is that she does have a desire to hurt or kill when it comes to her enemies and take some pleasure in that. That's how mm -hmm. Keot was able to get into Nona in the first place. So Keot ends up being a voice for a lot of those inner desires. Yeah, well said. It, it's definitely kind of shining some light on this part of Nona that at the end of the book, which we'll get to, is reintroduced to this idea of her violent tendencies and how that kind of shapes her character. But when she has Keot on her back or on her shoulder, like you said, um, she's she kind of enjoys having those conversations and Keot's kind of getting that fuel. And then we'll talk about later on when he's gone and how Nona is like, how much of that was the devil encouraging me and how much is it like, oh, now I take full responsibility for all these things that I do. And so that's being introduced here. And it is a great way to kind of amplify her violent tendencies because like, oh, you should kill them. You should kill them. And she's like, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's kind of a fun thing to do. And then it's interesting to see what happens when he's gone. So very interesting. Very true, Charles. I know you drew some parallels between... Uh, this and the poppy war actually yeah. and i won't spoil anything from the poppy war but for those who have read both the poppy war and book of the ancestor then it's it's easy to see how there might be a parallel for keyote going on in the poppy war that, for sure. that I, I was there's a very about. interesting discussion to be had comparing um nona to to mm -hmm. uh to turin and um, and it's the same way. It's almost this theme of accepting responsibility and like, you know, how violent is the individual? No matter how, how do you justify your violence kind of. So Nona's kind of working with that. At this point, she hasn't, um, the, the story's just starting, but we'll see how um, Nona, it touches on a little bit. I think it's going to have way more consequence in the third book, but she's starting to grapple with this idea of, um, her 
her violence and like how much of it she feels shame of how much of it she needs as fuel for fighting and stuff like that so it's a very interesting part of of Nona's character that kind of gets challenged and tempted here with mm-hmm. with the devil Keyote. so yeah, yeah super interesting there's even times where she longs for Keyote after he's <laughs> gone where she's yeah. like oh i wish his voice was encouraging me right now so yeah, yeah we'll exactly get into that a little bit more, but yeah. <laughs> i was yeah. like hmm, that's not that's a little troubling <laughs> that it is all right well we got a little distracted by the how fun it is to talk about kyo there but if we head back to where we were in the story it'll be that nona gets in trouble for her laying her hand on Joelle, where Joelle plays it up like Nona tried to kill her, basically. Nona gets taken to the convent table. Turns out that Joelle had... She shows up with, like, the brace on, like, Mm -hmm. some kind of um, fraud at a a courtroom (laughs) who plays up their injuries by coming in with all the neck brace and casts and everything. (laughs) Very much what's happening here. Yeah, she's gotten some bruising by creating a concoction. And oh, yeah, that's right. That's yeah, right. so she's got bruising around her throat that's not actually real. Yeah. So uh, in the end, Zol ends up defending Nona, and Zol actually lies to get Nona out of it. Not lies in the sense that what Zol said isn't true, but lies in the sense that she didn't actually wish because she, she said, I saw her, you know, and yeah. they were cool, but she's like, I didn't actually see, but I'm assuming, you know, I just know that you were right. So yep. ends to find the means here, which is what a lot of the nuns kind of teach that a lot. Well, <laughs> in their own class, especially. <laughs> right. And that's another interesting thing about these moments. We're getting a lot of POVs with Abbas class. And I think it's through her perspective that we see this trial play out. And it's interesting to see how Glass, like, never really believes Jolie, but is still working in the in the system of the convent and hearing all the different um, sides, you know, holding court essentially, but um, kind of always being on Team Nona, which <laughs> is uh, an interesting one. It just kind of builds up Jolie's character of being manipulative and you know dishonest and things like that. Um, but it was, yeah, it was the beginnings to see the cracks in Zol's character that are the most interesting here. We're starting to see uh, that she's willing to, you know, bend a little bit to, to help out Nona, which was a charming thing to see. For sure. And I think that's something that Lawrence does extremely well throughout the trilogy is that our first glance at most characters they're often a product of their upbringing or wherever they've come from or how they've been taught. But as they get more time in the convent, usually then they get to come out of their shell or at least round out their character in a way where we find out, okay, maybe they actually aren't so bad. And I think we get a lot of understanding about Nona through that fact where Nona's first reaction because she's had such a rough upbringing and doesn't really trust people off the bat is oh this person must be mean this person must be bad and then slowly but surely we find out well not everyone actually is in fact most of them aren't 
but Joelle totally is. <laughs> but Sol maybe isn't so bad. And we started to see that a little bit at the end of Red Sister, despite the fact that when she first comes, she seems like she's a bad guy. Right, especially with Zol's character. Mark Lawrence does a great job of slowly introducing the cracks into her like forward-facing persona. You know, I think it's a really like honest way of portraying Zol's character, how he, over the course of the book, she slowly starts to show these elements of how friendship is affecting her from when she first came to the school to by the end of this book, what ends up happening with her. So, And he's just slowly, patiently weaving in. This is the first one where it's like, well, I lied, but not really. And that's because, you know, you need to face the truth. And then she's also like, you know, I see that, you know, you're, you know you're not hiding that demon really well, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to tell anybody, but uh, you might want to keep that in check because someone will find out soon, you know? So they're ha- like, and then Nona was like, wow, that's the most words she's ever said at once <laughs> to me. Maybe more than she's ever said combined to this point. So it's moments like that that like really build the characterization of a character who supposedly has no character, right? We start to kind of like and like the relationship dynamic of, and that all kind of starts to form in these moments following the, I guess it's a trial or not really, but you know, following that hearing, um, Mm -hmm. we're, we're really fun. Definitely. (laughs) I, I like all those moments. I like how Zol starts throwing around. Oh Yeah. Uh, a, the chosen one is supposed to stand by her shield, and like, it's like it's kind of I don't know. It's cute, especially when it's a you bit remember too, that yeah. they're they're teenagers at this time, and they're just trying to navigate that awkward time as they mm-hmm. move through the equivalent of a school. <laughs> and right, and Zol was very much an isolated individual. Mm-hmm. You know, top of her class, didn't really say anything. Um, you know, very determined, and now she's starting to show that she's capable of, like, talking to people, maybe even cracking a joke, maybe? So it's like, you know, these moments are are, are um, kind of endearing, and it's these relationships that Nona has with all these different characters is what really makes this whole trilogy shine for me up to this point. Totally agree with you there, Charles. It's interesting that Zol starts to emerge a little bit and show some of these nicer sides when she's away from Yisht. And there's even a moment later where Yisht says something like, friends are weakness, I taught that to Zol or whatever. And I was getting the sense, okay, maybe a lot of reason why Zol was the way she was to start with was that she was raised by Yisht in a lot of ways and influenced by Shirzel as well. So... (laughs) All right, yeah, I, that's fun stuff with the Zol Nona interactions. We mm. end up getting, I think, some more fun stuff where Nona and the crew are visiting the caves, yeah. and then they get chased out by the Holothor, which is an interesting part of this <laughs> book, this whole Holothor thing, Charles, right. where Keot's afraid of this thing. It's hard to really understand what it actually is, but just something in the caves that scares everyone a ton. Everyone ends up running, and then they can't remember what it was <laughs> from. Only Nona can, and that's because Keot protected her in some way. Right. What Mark Lawrence does in this trilogy that I, I really love, when we're talking about world building, 
like you read something like Tolkien and Tolkien describes the whole history of everything and the whole um, the way everything looks and whatever and the whole history. But then you have someone like Mark Lawrence, who's exceptionally good at kind of keeping the mystery and the intrigue alive and everything is kind of introduced as a puzzle. Something that's like, okay, there's this Holothor thing may or may not be part of this original group that came from the spaceship and set up this glass right it's this moon which is a piece of technology so it's like all these are more pieces and then we learn more about thread work and more about the demon Keot and what he's capable of and then Keot kind of knows what a holothor is he never mark lawrence never actually explains any of this in any kind of detail but he leaves the pieces on the table and it's kind of like the piece that the flash forwards serve like we know the convent gets besieged by the taxes family so it's like these really interesting pieces and it keeps the drama going and it keeps the suspense going and it's such a masterful way he chooses to unveil information and it's almost like from the perspective of the characters like you know as much as the characters do that this creature exists and like oh that moon is in the sky but then it's like how it got there and then all these pieces that you're of magic you're getting introduced to that have a relationship with it somehow and it's slowly starting to come together but this is a moment where more of these like the plot thickens kind of with the setting of this world it's like hey there might be more going on with how this setting came to be than we know of and this holothor is a moment that we're kind of introduced to that of like what is this thing and how did it get here so well said, Charles. Often the questions are and mysteries are more interesting than answers ever would be. And I think Mark Lawrence is well aware of those <laughs> things and gives us no more than would be really interesting with the Holothor. Because <laughs> I've read this book twice now and I'm still like, what is going on with that Holothor? <laughs> and the fact that after reading multiple times, I'm still curious about that is such a compliment to Lawrence's writing. Yeah, if Tolkien wrote this book, he'd be like, and then the Holothor went back into the cave and yeah. lived the rest of his days. And, often, <laughs> and you're like, oh, cool. I know exactly what that is now. <laughs> That's so well said, Charles. That's and I I hate to say it, but that's part of the reason why with the Lord of the Rings, I don't often end up getting that as intrigued because it is all out there. And once I have the answers, I'm kind of like, okay, well, I'm satiated. I'm moving on. So, yeah, well, Lawrence is definitely trying to go for more mystery, more suspense, more drama. We're like Lord of the Rings is kind of like a epic tale so it, it two different techniques and uh, mark lawrence expertly shows how to unveil kind of pieces of his puzzle and the fact that his settings are so unique and wild and the blend of sci-fi with fantasy where it's like like the characters perceive it as something maybe more magical or more religion based yeah. when it's such a hard science thing so it's like how much of this is science versus magic you know so it's like all these pieces are coming down and like you said you the holothor man it's like what who knows what's going on <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i i love kyot's reaction to all of these things where kyot kind of seems to realize that he doesn't know everything there is to know about these things, but seems a little bit 
insecure about that and then yeah. like condescends to Nona <laughs> when he really doesn't have the answers either. Yeah. <laughs> I just love their exchanges where that's happening. Like Kyoto, when you think of someone writing a demon that's sort of possessing someone, you don't really think about that demon kind of having a like interesting and nuanced personality yeah. where obviously Kyoto still just wants violence and debt and things like that but it does feel interesting that Kyoto like has its own insecurity <laughs> yeah and it's but mark lawrence keeps it very understated which i appreciate yeah. it's not like a satire book where it's like over the top it's mm-hmm. just it's just enough to give it that bit of a more fleshed out characterization he's still a demon he's still like yep. always trying to get her to kill people but it's just kind of funny you get these moments where it's afraid or it's you know being passive aggressive or insecure um but it's always <laughs> subtle which i like a lot for sure things like when she she ends up in the cold water a bunch of times when she's practicing for the uh, the the gray sister trial thing yeah and then it's like Kyo was upset by the, that, like just getting cold constantly, maybe. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, yeah, Kyo was pretty quiet for a while after that. And, and then the moments that. where he goes to the bath, and it's like you just want to look at all the pe- all the all the yeah. women bathing. He's like, he doesn't he doesn't like admit that. He's just like, I just like the the warmth. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. So. Yeah, Kyo is like, your bodies are not interesting to me. Like I'm this ancient figure. It's like, so it's interesting, like <laughs> the Kyoto origins. You know, it's like, was this a person at one point who, through sci-fi stuff, became this demon thing, or who knows? Like, it, it, and it's the mystery around it that keeps it kind of fun and interesting. Well, we do hear from Zol at this point that mm-hmm. a little bit more about the demons. They have a different name for them that I didn't write down and don't remember, but <laughs> it. it it, she does say that they were left behind in some way by the missing. And right. We know that the Ice Tribers, they hold a lot of secrets. They seem to know a lot more about the ancient stuff that has played out in this world than do the, I guess, seemingly more civilized, quote-unquote, uh, folks in the corridor. Yes, yes. It it is it comes back to that piece of like um the mystery that is the setting of Mark Lawrence and you know, we've been tossing around this idea of making an episode dedicated to how Mark Lawrence uses his settings to tell stories because it's one of the most unique nice ways I've seen settings used in fantasy. So we'll dedicate a conversation to that, but this is all part of it. It's like, okay, are they part of like are they part of this greater sci fi origin to the setting? Like I'm not you know, and the fact that no one in this modern age with the Nona age knows what it is 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 what makes it super interesting. Yeah, the Nona age. It's well said, Charles. It all comes down to what I think is Lawrence uses perspective so well. The same way I was talking about with the characters, where we're tight to Nona's perspective for most of this. So we kind of see people through this Nona lens of, I don't trust them. They seem bad. Oh, maybe they're not so bad. And the setting is like that too, where we see things through Nona and the other characters' perspectives, where 
they feel like they're more in a fantasy novel than a sci-fi novel too and we're reading a fantasy novel so we're we're right there with them but all these sci-fi elements are then interpreted through that more like you mentioned Charles magical lens or through a more like ancient way of thinking about it than through a sci-fi bit so, Very well said. It's that perspective that is really what makes Mark Lawrence's writing stand out in a lot of ways. And then this book also shines with the characterizations and the dynamics between characters across time and the way we go back and forth in time and through perspective. It's like a yeah. wild ride. <laughs> yeah. And I, the one thing that I do miss with the relationships and stuff is more Clara. Uh, yeah. I, that's one thing as you're reading the middle, well, pretty much all but the end of the book. It's like, uh, it would be nice if we could, I understand why she's not here, but it'd be nice if we could see a little more Clara action. But we'll get there, Charles, when Clara gets back later in this book. So mm, That's right. She comes, <laughs> in, she comes in way later and only yes. for a brief flashing moment. <laughs> <laughs> but what a wonderful moment it is. Mm. So... Eventually, we get this moment where they visit the Menses family, and this feels a little different from most of what we get. And Nona gets to have a a sort of dinner with nobles. Regal is also there, there for whatever reason. I guess he's gotten famous <laughs> for as being a ring fighter. Right. Regal seems to pop up where wherever we most need him, and he pops up here. It's kind of a fun little exchange that, that we get. And we also get Sephira, who feels kind of like the Clara of the past, <laughs> like generations <laughs> class, yeah. right? If Kettle's kind of Nona, uh, uh, this is her friend. And, and actually more than that, I think Sephira and, uh, and Kettle have a romantic history where Nona and Clara uh do not at least to this point and uh, uh <laughs> that's not me saying they will that's me just but trying clara to does seem to have a crush on Nona. she does I would suspect yes there's many moments in red sister that indicate that but it does not seem to be requited by nona but either way right safira is this figure that was part of the class and then for one reason or another she ends up not anymore and more on this taxis uh, Chazal side of things so it's interesting noting the parallels and we get some interaction between Safira and Kettle here uh, that doesn't amount to much yet I feel like unless you've got stuff you want to talk about there. No I will just say the Nona Regal stuff that comes up is those moments that kind of remind us that Nona is a teenager still in a lot of ways because she mm -hmm. does kind of get a little awkward around him and she doesn't quite know why we know through um through Abbas Glass perspective she's like oh these two are just kind of have like are kind of crushing on each other a little bit yep. but from Nona's perspective she doesn't know and it's these few moments that we get that still remind us of like you know she's still just like a girl going out from boarding school out onto the town and meeting people and stuff so it's a fun it was a fun little um um character balance there and uh just a, a fun moment it's always interesting when these characters who are total badasses when they fight 
end up reminding you that they're teenagers <laughs> and they're yeah. a little not bumbling. social skills <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that's a fun moment for sure yeah. and it, it is i'll say abby's glass gets a lot of the best just lines in this book like mm. her perspective is very interesting how she sees through everyone. So she almost gives us a little bit more of what Mark Lawrence sees the characters as, where he's so subtle mm-hmm. when he's in the perspectives of Nona or even Kettle. But when we're in the perspective of Abyss Glass, because she understands people so well, we get to hear, I think, a little bit more directly, like, here's what's going on behind the scenes. And let me just say it. Right. Abbas Glass is definitely one of those pragmatic Mark Lawrence characters who yep. identifies cause and effect and has a plan and is more understanding just of the logistical progression of characters and decisions they make, you know, very pragmatic view of the world. And, and those kinds of characters um, really shine with Mark Lawrence's voice. So it's always fun when a Abbas Glass chapter comes up. Well said, Charles. All right, we end up having Nona do this trial. Basically, if she doesn't pass, then she can't be a gray sister. She doesn't have a shadow, and she's pretty recognizable with her fully black eyes. So, right. And they also move the location, so it's in the convent. So it's pretty much all these things are conspiring to make things worse for Nona's chances of actually being able to win this trial which requires her to be uh, unseen as she climbs a tree and retrieves a box and she ends up coming up with this plan to send out a bunch of imposter nonas which are basically her friends dressed up yeah it's kind of the reverse of the expectations like instead of you disguising yourself you disguise everyone else's you you know that was the the flip that Nona did to to win the trial, which was an interesting, <laughs> it was interesting to like hear this being described and trying to picture it in your mind. Like this is kind of wild. This is kind of a crazy thing that's happening right now. It's a lot of. It sounds very chaotic. Yeah, <laughs> I do love the idea of Joelle and her friends like uncovering people. <laughs> it's like oh, it's Jula. She like, didn't even know Jula's name. I think, yeah, too. yeah. Uh, so and good. this was a really good example. of of keeping us in Nona's perspective as she's preparing for the trial, but you like you still don't know what to expect, right? Mark Lawrence skates this fine line of like you committing to writing tightly from Nona's perspective without giving away what her plans actually are. So you see she's like smearing stuff on the tree roots and she's practicing how to jump really far and you know, you, she's doing all these things and you're kind of like I wonder what she's planning without actually spoiling it or without actually waiting until after it happens to tell us like, oh, this is actually what happened this whole time. She was preparing these whole things. And you're like, come on, man. No, I think he played it really well in terms of what information to give us to keep it going and make it feel earned in the moment as well. Very impressive, very fine line he kind of walks to keep that moment kind of honest and earned. Sounds like you liked this twist a lot better than you liked the. I wouldn't Clara call it a twist, reveal. but <laughs> this plot point better than you liked the Clara reveal. Yeah, and, uh... because you're, it's a challenge when you're so close to the perspective of the main character to try and have these twists that the character was preparing for the whole time, and I think this is a 
one of the prime examples of Mark Lawrence keeping that perspective close without portraying any of the fun moments that make it feel earned as from the reading experience, you know? This is a great yeah. example of that. Tough True. thing to do. <laughs> Another line that Lawrence walks really well here, I think, is he has these moments that feel, I think you used the word campy before, Charles, and yeah. almost like a little like zany and fun shenanigan y. Yeah. While, I don't know, he's able to find that tone that reminds you that they're kids like at one point i think jula is like wielding a frying pan when they're going down to (laughs) potentially encounter the holothor and uh, you get those kind of moments while also being able to find that more dark gritty fantasy tone that we got used to from lawrence when we were reading the broken empire trilogy exactly i was going to compare it to broken empire too because this is all part of the school setting, right? And Mark Lawrence kind of holds on to that setting as much as he can by also reminding us that there's still kids in school and kids in school do still kind of have silly thoughts and ideas like putting Yish in a barrel yes. <laughs> amongst other things. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's just, and that's the difference between this and Broken Empire is that, you know, he he's still trying to weave in these um dynamic characterization moments of like as horrific and violent as intense and as high stakes as this gets there's still this piece of um you know there's still teenagers in school that's the difference true and the juxtaposition i think makes the dark gritty moments even more powerful absolutely and it makes the you know when the relationship dynamics change between the characters. It makes it that much more gripping and engaging and things like that. Yes, it does, Charles. Well, I forgot to mention that the Inquisition came to town. (laughs) So (laughs) that means that Brother Pelter, who basically just seems like a jerk, is... (laughs) There. I read that in your notes. I was like, okay, it's kind of funny. <laughs> Brother Pelter is a jerk. That's yeah. <laughs> in, in our notes, episode yes. notes, yes. Yeah. He, I don't know, he's another one of those characters where it almost is surprising to me at this point when Mark Lawrence has a character that feels more one-dimensional because we get so much depth from characters like Ara and Clara and, of course, Nona, that I keep almost expecting the reveal with some of these other characters that we don't ever end up getting as much. So I think Brother Pelter, not just a jerk, I'm just like, or is just a jerk. And I'm like, okay, well, there, there's that. And he, he ends up sending his watchers around and he keeps bugging Abyss Glass about how there's heresy going on as uh, Abyss Glass is quick to note that <laughs> heresy, hearsay and heresy, though they may sound similar, are very different things. It does feel yeah. like most yeah. of <laughs> most of what Got is... <laughs> yeah. Abyss Glass has great lines in here. Yeah. So uh, she drops that one on him and they go back and forth for a while and uh, Eventually, when Nona and the crew went back to the caves and Nona retrieves her shadow, which is kind of interesting, 
they end up finding out that this happened because she trips some path tripwire via Joelle. Mm-hmm. And Joelle tells Brother Pelter, and it becomes this scene where it's like, all right, this time Nona's not going to be able to get out of it. And she's sentenced to death by sure. Brother Pelter. And it's and interesting also in this moment to note that Jolie, like, she is a master thread worker, literally, but also, like, up to this point, figuratively, she kept goading Nona by continuing to mention, yeah. oh, Henna's dead, you know, like, you, and you still haven't been down there. Like, what Hesse. a friend, Hessa, sorry, yeah. What a, and a good, what a good friend you are, not going down there. And, it, and like, you know, she kept antagonizing Nona, and Nona took the bait, right? She may not be so susceptible to having her threads pulled, but she's certainly susceptible to her friendships. And, and Jolie is kind of pulling this, the threads, not just through actual thread work, but by... right using this I, this theme of friendship to get her to do what Jolie wants her to do, which is go down into the caves and incriminate herself. And in some ways we do get a fresh perspective, at least for from what I've read, via Joelle here, because it feels like these characters that do things like thread work in here, or we think of Breeze from Mistborn, who does the emotional alamancy, which is somewhat <laughs> similar. It's like, they almost always seem to be like good people that it's like, we get to hear from them like, oh, maybe it's actually not so bad to pull people's <laughs> threads. And with Joelle, it's like, well, if it's in someone's hands who's a total jerk (laughs) two total jerk characters here one of them can pull people's threads both figuratively and literally and it's Mm -hmm. like oh yeah this is pretty messed up what she's doing yes and And it reminds us of nona's weaknesses not just by being overpowered in the ways of the path and whatever but her her ability to be kind of triggered or manipulated through friendships you know like in the first book red sister it's friendships like oh you know you can't really be really, you know, you have to wear your, you know, be careful who you trust and anything bad someone does, they'll do to you and like all this other stuff. And we see that being used against Nona here of like, oh, I know she loves her friends so much. She, I could get her to do something illegal and in trouble, you know, it, right. it, it, and it was pretty easy. And Nona realized she fell for it hook, line and sinker. Like when she actually paused to think about it, she was like, man, I really fell for that hard. What was I thinking? You know, so. This is kind of a look into Nona's character and kind of the warning, one of the many warning signs we get of her. Um, but just an interesting way of it being used against her, not because like Hessa betrayed her, but other characters who want to incriminate her using that knowledge of how much she loved Hessa to get her to do something incriminating. So very interesting. That it is, Charles. Well, Abbott's glass and kettle aren't going to stand for Nona being put to death here. So they end up mostly kettle actually doing the actions here, helping Nona escape. And Mm -hmm. in the process, kettle and Nona form a thread bond, which ends up being a thing that Mark Lawrence will use to let us get into Kettle's perspective a lot more yeah. without making it feel like we've abandoned Nona's perspective. It's an interesting device there. Yes. So we also get a moment here where Nona 
is regretting not listening to Kyote. <laughs> Kyote says in her head, you should have murdered her that first day, referring to Joelle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we get from Nona, yes. Nona wiped her eyes and set her mouth in a grim line. I probably should have. <laughs> so we see Nona, obviously not just this force for good that's always disputing Kyote. She definitely has some of those inclinations herself and ends up being like, ah, should have listened to the demon. Yeah, and it's interesting to see how Nona's kind of at a low point here and, you know, she's and to see her relationship with Sister Kettle kind of develop and we get to see more from Kettle's perspective starting from here. It's all super interesting that that teacher-student dynamic starts to dissolve a little bit and they actually are, you know, becoming friends and crossing into this realm of trusting each other with information and, and like kind of breaking the rules together and Sister Kettle letting stuff slide that a sister probably wouldn't normally let a student get away with and it's all starting here so even though Nona's leaving the convent as a wanted criminal who was sentenced to death, it's still kind of um, developing these relationships and and getting Nona outside the school. True. And probably worth mentioning that Kettle is also a little bit on the out with the <laughs> church these days. They're like discovering Apple, that she's shadow bound or whatever. When and, Apple uh, saved her, that kind of was a defiance of the ancestor so yeah rough one for kettle i guess better than dying probably but she also not as much on the inner circle these days when it comes to the church especially with all those inquisitors around so then kettle oh oh forgot to mention zol also ran away at some point there after that moment, yeah, because there's yeah. a while where Glass is still at the convent and Kettle and Nona are gone, and the Inquisition is getting Abbas Glass more and more in trouble and working up towards arresting her. And by the time they do arrest her, it's because Zol had escaped, yeah. you know. And from Glass's perspective, we just know that a report came that Zol left. And it's like, and we kind of know that she, that's part of seemingly part of her calculations to kind of let her go and uh, it, it, it's what ultimately gets her arrested by the inquisition amongst other things true and it is nice to be in abyss glass's perspective after nona leaves and <laughs> abyss glass is kind of watching zol and she's like when is she gonna leave here yeah, right. <laughs> so we get more insight into abyss glass's plans and that she does know these things are going to happen well before they do she's not always a hundred percent right she might think that Zola's gonna leave a little earlier but she she knows enough yeah and, she's like she she's supposed to leave i'm surprised she's holding out this long you know kind of a thing yeah and um yeah it's just it's an endearing way to develop zol's character without ever having to see or hear from her it's like the physical act of her like still sticking around and then eventually leaving speaks to her character just as much as if glass had a sit down conversation with her, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a fun little moment of characterization there. Um, and we do get moments where even Abbas glass is surprised by Zol. Yes. Zol asks her for advice at one point and it's in front of, I think brother Pelter and she's like, 
she tries to conceal that she's surprised by it and just kind of is like, you know, you should stay here. It's like, uh, I think that's when she does drop a clue in there somewhere in in her reply. Mm. I'm trying to remember what it was that exactly that she said at that moment. But well, it makes um, sense if she was like the chosen one should be with the shield. That would be a good hint. But I don't remember. So there was a there was like a phrase in there that was kind of a clue for Zol about her true intentions. I kind of remember that. I just didn't bookmark it. Well, we'll end up getting to this sequence now, Charles, where Nona's on the road. We get some interesting interactions there. This feels like something that there's not a ton to cover here compared to the end where Giljon tries to capture Nona uh, when Nona returns to what's left of her home village and he fails. Nona ends up putting him in his own cage, I think, at one point. And (laughs) then she lets him go. Keot's not pumped about that. Then she meets this priest. He tells her that her mom is dead. And then Nona gets captured by the Noiguin. It's pretty much what goes down there. Yeah, we get a little bit like kind of like a return to home thing. It's interesting that every single character, both on her team and against her, knew that's exactly what she was yeah. going to do. It's like, well, obviously she's got nowhere else to go. She might try and revisit her home. And uh, that kind of sets a lot of stuff against her in, in those <laughs> moments. And she gets to see that her you know, hometown is just gone and that her mother's likely dead and some of these things still remain a mystery to her and and so we get those few moments which are interesting but more importantly we 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 kind of we get get the ball rolling here as to getting like (laughs) reunited with kettle and zol which is a fun little trio it is fun and don't forget clara charles well that's later on right it's not until they're in the tetragode so I think that Kettle and Zol are together without Nona. And then Zol leaves, and then Kettle and Nona and Clara are all together without Zol oh, until yes, the yes, very end. Yes. So the real trio, Charles, is Kettle, Nona, and Clara. But anyway, we'll, we'll get there. Right now, we're more in this place where Nona's captured, and Kettle and Zol end up meeting up and Kel's like, what are you doing here, Zol? Zol ends up like pretty brutally killing a Noiguin. I think the Noiguin are kind of, they're like the stormtroopers of this. <laughs> and uh, that'll become even more relevant later. But they're the stormtroopers in the sense that they, we keep hearing how amazing they are at fighting, but like all the characters we know keep killing them. <laughs> like, <laughs> So I don't know. Well, they have that, to be of a, a part... sufficient size. Yeah, an army of a sufficient size. But it feels <laughs> like every time the Noig, you know, in case Mark Lawrence is listening, <laughs> I won't go in too deep. But and Mark, you know, I love this book overall. But it does feel like it's a little more tell than show when it comes to the Noigu and being great fighters. Right. I yeah, I get that sense. But there's they make the distinction between lightless and Noig gun and the only people that actually manage to kill one are Zol who is the chosen one right and who is an anomaly and Nona as well who also has like three different kinds of blood 
So it's two exceptional characters. They just happen to be killing a lot of them. Like Kettle herself is like, no way, this is crazy. But it's only because it's Kettle and Zolan. You can make the argument they were close to the ship heart and like all these other things. Um, But yeah, they still managed to achieve a lot given how built up the the Noi gun have been to this point. Yeah, well also they broke in and tried to like, killed nona way back in red sister and like missed yeah. like threw a knife at at nona and like and i guess i don't know i'm just like when when are they gonna kill someone that we care about or something like that where we'll be like oh we should take them seriously the lightless thing is probably a good point there charles the distinction so maybe the light lists are a little bit more of the stormtroopers but yeah they they definitely take out a lot of light lists which are different from certified noi gun which i think there's only two that they managed to kill that whole time they still managed to hang out in their little headquarters the whole time undetected which was kind of interesting but um yeah, I guess there were really only two, and it, and it does speak to kind of the power of Zol and Nona, but we don't really get yeah. to see the Noi gun do anything that earns their reputation just because we're stuck so close to Zol and Nona, who are in them, themselves exceptional. That's well said, Charles. That we get reactions, like Kettle being like, oh, you just killed a Noi Guin! But that's, that's about the extent of it. Um... Part of the stormtrooper bit here for me is that we get these moments where Zol basically tries to use the Force. She's it's like very reminiscent of these are not the droids you're looking for. <laughs> where I I didn't write down any of the actual lines she delivers, but she just like says a statement like you know her, and then <laughs> yes. they're like I know her. <laughs> like, so I thought that was a lot of fun. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, she does kind of show off more of her abilities and the potential that someone with all four, you know, bloodlines in her is capable of doing. And Zul's kind of opening herself up a little bit more to Kettle. And so it's like all these kinds of, of, fun, of fun things here are happening. Right. Meanwhile, so we probably mentioned this already. The Abyss is being taken to Shirzal to be tried for heresy. She runs into Regal. <laughs> at one point yeah. regal's just all over the place he's he we... gets around yeah for sure yeah so other than that nona now is being imprisoned and she ends up with thurn taxis there and he uses something called the harm on her which yes. is an interesting device there charles Yes, it's a medallion that causes the worst possible pain imaginable. And then when it's removed, it's like nothing happened. But it leaves Nona like scarred for life. <laughs> so it's like this really intense, just horrible thing that we get introduced to that the taxes have. Right. So if it's strapped on you, then you're basically undergoing the most possible pain you ever could. And. <laughs> It doesn't leave a mark or anything like that, and we get the sense that these taxes, taxi, <laughs> <laughs> whatever the plural of taxes is, we get that they are pretty malicious. They tend to enjoy actually hurting people, so 
Thurin is like, ah, I'll use this on you just so you get a sense, but I want to hurt you in a way that you can actually see. So he doesn't end up leaving it on her for particularly long. And right. Because he yeah. does, he's like, it doesn't leave him. Although it's the worst pain possible, it doesn't leave any marks. It's like it never happens, and I want to do something that really stretches this out and leaves marks and there's this other element besides pure pain that I want to inflict on you it's a really kind of a gr- gruesome moment there of what he's trying to do he like wants to take her apart piece by piece and he's like just causing you the worst pain imaginable is not the only thing I'm trying to do here I want to like destroy you so it's a very threatening moment here and it kind of sets the stakes for like Nona really she better escape before he comes back. <laughs> she better. Be there. Yeah. And she keeps trying to and I do like how Lawrence has it where there are these ways Nona potentially could escape and basically each one the the Noiguin had already planned for so it's like just not working. <laughs> and she... right the noi gun kind of set traps it's like okay once she breaks through that we'll know instantly and mm-hmm. react you know it's part of the psychological torture of the prison the cage that she's in is is to give her these opportunities right so she ends up killing a bunch of it would be lightless then and uh yeah she does end up killing a, a noi and but she, she gets poisoned is, I guess, the important thing to take out of this, which then ends up with Kettle coming into Nona's body via the thread bond and helping Nona end up taking the right antidote. And we also have Kettle realizing that Nona has Kyote in her. Then we... It's up... interesting how she reacts, right? She leaves a message for Nona by telling oh, Keo. Yes. So there's this unspoken thing of like, I know you have a demon in you, and if we were if we still had this teacher student relationship, you would be like expelled. But much higher stakes right now. Here's a message of like how to survive or whatever, you know. So it's kind of a fun a fun little dynamic piece there. That was uh ingenuitive way of using the demon (laughs) yeah it's (laughs) it's interesting watching Kyote during this whole time too where Kyote's motivations are (laughs) they they basically are always about his own self uh like being able to survive and uh, if he either stays in Nona and survives or potentially moves into someone else and survives. So at one point, he seems like he's pretty excited about the idea that he might get to go into Thurin Taxis because he's like, yeah, yeah, there's a guy who... <laughs> <laughs> That's a guy of my own, like... Oh, God, what do they say? It's like a kindred spirit that yes. he sees in Thurin Taxis. And then other times, he's like, oh, I... Like, you need to stay alive, because if you just die alone in here, then I'm not going to be able to go anywhere. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, following some interesting Keyote stuff here. But eventually, Nona is able to escape, but she's only able to escape because of the return of Clara, Charles. The return of Clara. That was a fun moment. You know, we 
we see through like the flash forwards and everything that there's definitely this falling out but still holding on and it's interesting to see like knowing where things end up in the future like what kind of stage of progression their relationship is at in this moment and we still see Clara trying to have the best of both worlds kind of and hasn't fully committed to one side and it's that kind of line that she's balancing and we're like oh man clara has more opportunities here we'll see if she how she reacts being like you know you could come back now from all the work you've done and, and and things like that so yeah always happy to see clara back in the fold it keeps things interesting i clara is my favorite charles i just love the way Claire is used in this one too, where eventually we'll get to the the fight with Yisht, but there's like, it's very clear that Clara was not involved in, <laughs> in that. And there's even a mention where during that, no one is like, oh, I haven't seen Clara for a while. And a reader familiar with tropes might think, oh, like Clara's going to come back and help. And that's how they're going to get out of this. And it's right. like, no, Clara actually is just not trying to fight Yisht. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she wants to help, but she is also looking after her own self-interest more than anything. She's like, I'll help up until I can't be like discovered or anything. I'm not ready to commit to making enemies of the people I'm currently with, you know? Right. So it's an interesting part of Claire's character. She's very calculating and like, I'll help Nona because I like her, but I'm not going to betray my own self-interests of aligning with the Emperor's sister, you know? So yep. that's where we're at. And it's an interesting line she manages to keep balancing. Mm-hmm. They end up meeting up with Kettle, who's by herself at this point and seemingly dead based on Clara's assessment. But they're basically known as able to help her vibe or it's a, I'm kind of fuzzy on the details. Um, remembering this little interaction, but end up then getting Kettle back in the fold. And at this point, Zol has already departed and she has rock moving powers. Right. She kind of disappears until the, like, I'll see you in the 11th hour. <laughs> like, <laughs> kind of a thing. So, um, which Mark Lawrence still plays off in an interesting way. I like how Zol kind of returns, but I'll, I'll, once she leaves, I'm like, I wonder what, like, blaze of glory she'll return in. You know, it, it, it remains to be seen, but it does kind of keep her out of the, because she is, like, the most fresh in terms of fighting ability at this moment and um, she kind of goes off and does her own thing which you're not quite sure what it is but you know that she's kind of out of the running in terms of getting Kettle and Nona to some sort of safety right and Kettle and Nona and sort of Clara but Clara doesn't really want any part of it (laughs) go on to try to steal back the ship heart so they're kind of occupied with that for a while and we get a return to what's going on with abyss glass where we get this reveal that it's actually shirzel is the one who's on (laughs) trial here and i won't spoil anything from game of thrones but it did make me think about a moment in the game of thrones show that (laughs) we got in some of the later seasons where turned out 
someone different was on trial than what we expected. <laughs> yep, it's certain. I I know exactly what you're talking about, and um, you know, I can I can point the finger at who you're talking about, but um, we don't need to get into it. <laughs> I will you could point the finger, huh? <laughs> but I will say that was a you know, Glass is not one to let herself get ensnared too much. I think she knew like. Oh, it's a topple of dominoes because we know that she's still going in the direction that she's planning to go in. But she always has this thing of like, it could still go either way. And now more than ever, it's getting more and more dangerous. So we know Abbas Glass's ability to kind of see the cause and effect of certain things. But she's so far gone down in the ripple of cause and effect that she's not kind of sure what stage she set for herself she's kind of playing with fire again here i will go as far as to say that and um yeah she does this like reverse like um this is like reverse card play of like actually you're the one that's on trial and because everyone's here now and there's no other way I could have united all these nobles and the Inquisition in one place without getting this far. And she's able to, you know, they're, they're weaving some moments of like, yeah, before I left my position as head of the Inquisition, I staged some falling outs with certain players to protect myself, to make it look like they're my enemies. And that all kind of comes meshed together here in this moment where Shrizal is on trial and that leads to this whole chaos that that ensues from putting her on trial I think we're you know unless I'm ready to skip to that moment sure so Shrizal reveals her secret plot when it looks like the stuff is moving against her where she's like I'm trying to get all the yeah I stole the ship part I'm trying to get all the ship parts because then I can control the moon and I can use it to the benefit of all of us rich people here and it's a compelling case I'll say I, I was like <laughs> you know she might win over the room with this <laughs> and Abbas Glass is getting the sense of that too Charles yeah. <laughs> right so Abbas Glass has already taken a truth serum basically at this point. <laughs> and yeah. then under the truth serum, she's like, yeah, well, your plan can make a lot of sense to people here, but it actually doesn't need you to be involved <laughs> in it. She's like, oh. yeah. yeah, exactly. And she's also like, yeah, the Inquisition and the church aren't the most effective forms of government. They probably won't get much done. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and yeah. being the head of having been the head of both of those is pretty damning. <laughs> so, yeah. but it's also kind of sparked this whole thing of like, why are you involved in this at all? You know, like, no, let's have no illusions here, which right. is more of that practicality that we get from a good Lawrence novel. And it's kind of, and then that's when Shers all start stabbing people or getting people stabbed. <laughs> well, the the shoot hits the fan to keep our clean mm. rating here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when, I, I mean, Aura ends up walking the path in all this, which leads to a big sort of explosion thing. Oh, you do have Jolie pulling threads, trying to manipulate yes. the trial, and you have Darla pulling her chair out. You know, these like fun these yeah. fun moments the minute i saw darla there i i, I will admit i was like oh, darla's the most prime to not make it of all these characters <laughs> that made sense 
Well, well, I do want to comment on the thread work battling because that was kind of interesting where Joelle is pulling the strings of one of the people deciding whether or not Chazal should be questioned and R is kind of like pulling the strings back and they uh, he basically defaults back to where he was already leaning anyway. Um, but yeah, the Darla thing. Because Darla was like, able to physically just pull Jolie's chair out and break her concentration. Yes. You know, that was kind of what helped break this battle of thread working. Yes. Which is so funny. it is funny. Darla <laughs> it does feel like she was primed to not make it out of it. She got some of that like greater attention earlier in the novel <laughs> where it's like, Oh, it's interesting how Darla and Nona keep becoming so close even though she wasn't part of the OG crew yeah. here. Like what what's happening there so lawrence does a good job of setting things up where we'll actually care about darla when she goes it almost has a feel of maybe something where like darla is dying here in the outline if if lawrence (laughs) even outlines and then it's like oh well guess i gotta make sure they care about her by that point (laughs) and he did a good job i I wasn't like predicting it but i was like i have bad feelings about (laughs) darla like if stuff goes down she's the most prime just plotting wise to to be the tool that goes and so when she does go i'm like "Ah, it all's coming into place here (laughs) Yes. I wonder if Abbas class saw that in her <laughs> domino effect. <laughs> Doesn't seem like she did. So <laughs> going back to Nona and the crew at that time, basically they had previously been like, we need a distraction. <laughs> and that's when you get this sound coming from Aura walking the path. Eventually, they end up running into Yisht, who uh, Clara notes she hasn't seen since since Barrel Gate. <laughs> like the Barrel <laughs> does get a reference. <laughs> like I haven't seen her since the whole thing with the Barrel, and I don't really want to right now. And that's, that's yeah. It's funny when Clara Nona win. when when Nona was poisoned and put in the box. She's like, "I'm in a box." I was like, "Did Yisht do like a revenge Barrel play?" <laughs> <laughs> That would have been funny, uh, but it was not the case. But um, yeah, we we get back to um, the whole yeast thing, and this again, this this expanding of the lore and the setting with with demons and the ship heart, which um, kind of reveals more, but also in turn adds to the mystery. It, it, it's um, a great way to kind of keep the suspense going of like, hey, ship hearts can deliver demons to a person. It, it's yeah. like, hmm, that's interesting how that's um, the case here with Yist. And Yist is chock full of demons, Charles. Chock full of demons. <laughs> <laughs> and she gets into this fight with Nona... <laughs> She is, she basically says to Nona, like, you should have let me kill you the first time around because I wasn't cruel then. Now I'm cruel. (laughs) And it's so, I do love this thread that continues through these first couple books where the, the main antagonists basically even if they're not the big bads, the main antagonists, it feels like are always just chock full of demons by the time we get around to them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like, That's true. 
So it harkens back to that and we get to see the way their personalities change, where even if they were kind of bad to begin with, then they get worse when all these demons get a hold of them. <laughs> Chock full of demons. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's <laughs> it's an interesting battle that we get. Obviously, Ish can see it a little bit into the future, or at least can see what Nona and people, as Kyot says, primitive like her are able to do. But she can't see what Keo's going to do, apparently. Mm. It all ends up coming to a head where Yisht is threatening to kill Kettle. And Nona has already picked up on, like, hey, if I do nice things, then Keo is uh, <laughs> in trouble. And if I do bad things, then Keo gets more power. And Nona ends up in this place where she could actually run away but it would leave Kettle to die. And she ends up trying to throw herself in the way of danger to try to save Kettle. Right. And that's when Kyot ends up transferring into Yish to, as we've learned, when you have those really vindictive, malicious intentions, that's when the demons get inside you. Right. So and Kyot it's funny that at this point... Home. Kyot was like, you can't die. I have no one to transfer to, <laughs> you know? He was, like, pretty indifferent. And then yeah. all of a sudden, he has this self-preservation. And now he's like, no, like, I don't want this. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't want to share. That's yeah. what Nona yeah. says. It's like, <laughs> Kyot does not want a part of the debacle that's going on inside a Yish. And he ends up actually, against his will, transferring <laughs> over to Yish. <laughs> And, and Yish kind of is like seizing from having just one too many uh, uh, devils inside of her. And I will say a quick tangent for in the defense of the Noi gun, um, <laughs> Nona does have Kyot vision, which goes, she would not have been able to survive without. True. So there is also that element of being a, a, a three blood or whatever they call it and having demon vision that gets her <laughs> through the, the, the one Noi gun that she manages to kill. So just a little a little piece there in, in defense of the Noi gun. <laughs> well, Charles, you know, we do have that in defense of Dena episode that I was a little bit more of the lead on. You can be the lead if we ever do a in defense of the Noi Guin episode. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've said all my piece on, on that. <laughs> all right. So they end up in this situation where... Clara busy reveals now that Yisht is out of the way. Clara's like, oh, hey, I'm back. And she reveals that the Abyss and Aura and all these folks are in trouble. And as Nona's internal monologue notes, the ship part was just a thing, but downstairs her friends could be dying. And that's going to take priority for Nona every time. And they mm-hmm. head off to mm-hmm. try to help their friends. And, and Clara's still tagging along here, Charles. She is still tagging along at this moment. She's very nervous. <laughs> like, she definitely feels a little exposed. But she is sticking with Nona up right. to this point. She is. And they run into third taxes. And then Clara, I believe, ties a scarf around her head. Because she's like, I don't want anyone to see me doing any of this. <laughs> it is funny just watching her navigate all of that. And we get this Clara that has been sorely missing throughout the book. Yeah, she's still trying to skate around. She has yet to do this point of no return moment. She's trying to 
have her cake and eat it too of playing both sides. And it's starting to get more and more reckless. She's starting to get more and more to this point of she can't have it both ways. But for now, she's going as far as wrapping up, covering her head completely (laughs) in an attempt to try and hold on to whatever, like... (laughs) <laughs> two sides play she has right now so it's kind of funny to see her desperation come through a little bit right because she's got it made to some extent when she's with the tax taxes tax eye mm-hmm. and she you know she doesn't really want for much but she knows that they're not good people but claire is a little more okay with hey i might be on the side with these folks who are bad people but self-preservation and all that as we've been saying charles takes priority for clara usually at least so far so we see then nona do something as the text says a better person wouldn't do to theron taxis where she basically just leaves him with the harm <laughs> she like super glues glues the harm to his body which is really a hardcore thing to do and she even like we alluded to this in the beginning of the episode but when she loses coat yeah she's now like keyote uh, i was like i'm not to yeah, be confused not, with, with coat from, from king killer, <laughs> king killer. <laughs> right keyote and um Same she kind of was like man i wish she was here or I wish I could use him as an excuse right now and then she feels yeah. kind of ashamed as she's leaving the room and and even Kettle is like you need to like process this and live with the decision which I thought was very interesting for Kettle Kettle wasn't trying to like push her in any way I think Kettle realizes that as much as I was your teacher you are now in this like level far beyond and the best thing I can do for you is give you this experience of like you need to make these choices. No, it's your choice and your consequences. And she yeah. does feel guilty from it. It kind of leaves the door open of did Texas die or does he live on to attempt to exact more revenge? We don't know. The The doors are open. And um, just, and then she misses the demon that was attached to her body, which <laughs> is all kind of very interesting telling, maybe even a bit troublesome. Yeah, at least um, a little an interesting character moment we get at the like rising action of this book right because that's a really evil thing to do is to, to just to basically super glue this super horrible thing to someone's body you know yep well we get lots of fighting charles i know you always love those action sequences mm-hmm. and it ends up resulting in this situation where it looks like our our abyss glass and crew are i don't know how are they gonna make it out of this palace which has <laughs> gotten to the point where it's on fire and it's it's a tough situation they're kind of just coming to terms with it darla's slowly dying and then to the rescue it's <laughs> Nona mostly. <laughs> yeah, there's a there funny too. moment from Abbas Glass where she's like, they're all like pretty much resigned to defeat and they're all circled around praying. And then Nona arrives and she's like, I've seldom had a prayer answered so swiftly. Yes. <laughs> that is a great line. <laughs> <laughs> Which was funny. Um, 
So, yep, known it to the rescue. It was fun to have them in the same building without them realizing it, kind of. You, you get the perspective changes, and you get to see where they are in time. It's like, oh, they're at, like, the exact same moment and place and time with this, like, explosion from yeah. f- from Ara walking the path and things like that. So um, and it all comes to a head where they finally all are back together trying to escape this castle where everyone is trying to hunt them down. Right. And Nona does something that everyone's telling her she shouldn't do, which is walk the path again. She'd already done it earlier. And she is basically seeking to aid them in this escape. They're in like a, I guess it's a, a caravan. Carriage. It's a carriage. Yeah. Carriage is what but it's like a really fancy and, one. <laughs> yeah. And she's busy trying to help power them through and move them through gates and things like that and destroy things in their way and get arrows. Because it's been led up to this point that she can walk the path and like shoot out explosions, you know, so she can like create energy from walking the path. And we've seen her try and practice this in the first half of the novel. And now she's back. And this is also where the the friendship theme comes to a head in this book as well, because there's like Yish had called friends a weakness. And then we have Darla's moment in the like I loved how the chapter ended with it's like and the swords rose and fell was like how they described Darla getting stabbed a bunch of times. I was like, that's kind of sad, but it was a great way to write off a character is the implication that she was stabbed a whole bunch of times. But then it's like, oh, we have her body and she's still breathing. I'm like, didn't swords rise and fall on her body a bunch (laughs) of times? I guess she's like so big and they were able to pull her out somehow. But we got to have these like last words moments that felt very like, 80s action kind of like what took you so long (laughs) (laughs) moments that um pushed nona to where she needed to go to to walk the path (laughs) right and she basically says she wouldn't have made it back if it weren't for darla and i think really well done to watch lawrence take darla from in around the middle of red sister where she's just like a bully to then by the end of Grey Sister, we're mourning her loss and buying in when Nona's like, Darla is the only reason I made it back. So another yep. solid job. Yep. And then he does it, he ties it, he compares it to that that what's the name of the medallion that causes all the pain again? The harm. The harm. Yeah. So she's like, the harm was a horrible yes. pain, but it's like the pain of losing people that you love, losing your friends is another kind of pain altogether. And it's like she could walk away, from, like ignore that pain, but she's like there's something dehumanizing about ignoring that. And it's the desire to come back and embrace that loss that brings her off the path. Not necessarily her love for Darla, but it would be disrespectful to her friendship to not feel that pain. Huh. And so to kind of, like that's... um. That's what I got from it anyway, this idea of, uh, let's see here. But yeah, and then she goes on to talk more about friendship. But basically, it's this idea of like to ignore Darla's memory and feel that loss doesn't feel right. And it's Mm -hmm. that desire to kind of come back and process it that pulls her back off the path into reality, which was an interesting, again, exploration of friendship in in this trilogy. That. Charles, that was so beautifully said and so poignant. (laughs) Um, Despite my training in psychology, I could not have spoken better about (laughs) 
like wow. the importance of processing grief. And I mean, that is such a good reading, I think, of what we get from Nona returning from the path here. I mean, sometimes you just gotta, it's normal to feel really, really crappy after you lose someone. And I think it's validating to us as readers who many of us have probably dealt with loss of friends or family or people we care about as well. So to remind us how valid that pain is, even in the face of this like compared to this device that can cause you the most physical pain possible and tell us kind of like, well, losing someone you care about, even if it doesn't physically hurt like that is still worse in some ways. (laughs) I don't know. I thought that was a really nice sentiment from Lawrence. Right. So I think I found the moment here. Okay. So here we go. Here we go. Here we go. In the end, only Darla brought her back. Nona would have run the path forever. Something so right couldn't be denied. But for the fact of her friend's death diminished, diminishing behind her, something like that couldn't simply be thrown away, discarded, abandoned, as if it held no worth or meaning. And with a howl, Nona turned in a place where there could be no turning and fell back into the world. So it's this idea of just like to throw away her death as something so meaningless is what brings her back it's so it's not so much her love for darla as much as her kind of (laughs) respect to her passing which is an interesting distinction there exactly charles that facing the pain caused by darla's passing is respectful to darla and what she meant right and then there's that moment where they escaped right and they're like riding the carriage down the hill and she brings up friendship again it's like yish had called friends a weakness, and then um, the pain that Hess's death and now Darla's had caused her was very different from that of the harm, but it was deeper and longer lasting. A weakness, though, it had been friendship that had Kettle follow her half the length of the Empire, friendship that had Clara spirit her out of the dungeons of the Noi Gun, and if she had to die, she would rather do it here under the Scarlet Heavens with her sisters of the Red and the Gray, free and fighting, than any alternative she could imagine. So that's where we end up with the whole friendship motif by the end of this book. That's like right at the end. Those are great quotes that you pulled, Charles. <laughs> and I feel like I've, I've said this on Reddit before, too, under our account. Lawrence doesn't get enough credit for his prose. <laughs> I don't hear people talk about Mark Lawrence's prose that much, but when you grab those snippets there, it's like, this is really well written. So. Right. I, I agree. And it has like this exciting element to it, this epicness of it, and the truth of it as well, too. This idea of like, how bad is friendship really like? You know, it, it's what had united all of us and kept us strong and kept us grounded. And I'd rather be with my friends than all alone and, and free from being betrayed, you know, which is a common theme in a lot of fantasy books. But it's done in a really interesting way here in Grey Sister. Right. And we have the comparison point of Clara, who would rather be alone (laughs) and not surrounded by her friends if that means staying alive, because she did not come along, Charles. She She did not. Hung back. Yep. 
very sad because Nona's like, where's Clara? It's like, oh, she must have snuck away. <laughs> the old Shocker. Irish goodbye from Clara. <laughs> she just disappears. And I will say only in a Mark Lawrence fantasy novel do we get like a, only like an author with a scientific science background would give us a physics lesson right at, uh, on inertia right at the end on how she escaped. She's like, and then I angled this to that in this structure and push the energy off at this <laughs> angle so that all of the force would be on this object and we escaped and i was like it's like whoa we're getting a proper physics lesson here i'm trying to picture it in my brain it's like going back to my physics class in high school of like okay the angle of force <laughs> it's like you know my hand's not as hard as the gate so even if i were to punch it at full force what good would that be if my hand would just explode <laughs> so you're like yeah wow we're getting all this science here and that's something that is is a rare treasure that only a mark lawrence novel can deliver i'd say but they basically rocket ship the carriage out of the out of the fortress and down the hill, and uh, that's where we get to this end piece. Right, Charles, and you were in AP physics, if I remember correctly. <laughs> I sure was from our high school days. So <laughs> if if Charles is saying that, you know, you can trust him, and you can probably also trust Mark Lawrence and his PhD. Yeah, you can <laughs> trust my high school <laughs> education. <Yep. laughs> <laughs> the one class I took in high school. It was college level, though. It was AP. It was college level. <laughs> and I did not quite make it into AP physics with you, Charles. I barely made it through, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Probably shouldn't have been there. <laughs> <laughs> you, We were much happier in our, what was it, bio class that we were together with Derek? Yes, and... our regents level biology class. <laughs> That's a much where happier we place. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh, so, so for the sake of time here, we reunite with Zol, I think is the good yep. place to just get us to. Yep. Zol emerges using those rock powers and stuff where she now has the ship heart. So she actually got the other ship heart. We'd yes, get, the Noigun one. Yeah. There are two ship hearts there. And she actually grabbed the other one while everyone was thinking about the one from Sweet Mercy. So she basically causes a rock slide and they get away. And she drops that, like, I am the chosen one line, which is pretty epic. Yeah. And we guess we'll get a development from Abbas Kalas's character which was pretty interesting. So you should know the greatest joy to those who see the future is that life remains full of surprises and you've all surprised me, which is kind of this cute little end to her arc in this book of like, yeah, I can be as manipulative as I want, but it's the joy in life surprises that that is what makes it all worth it. And this idea of all these friendships putting up this like cute moment that we get mm -hmm. throughout this trilogy that we didn't get in like a more hardened uh, trilogy like Broken Empires. So it's like, oh, these are like cute little moments wrapping up here at the end. And you know, like Kettle's like choking up a voice too thick with emotion to continue. So like they're all kind of choking up and gathering yeah. around, hugging each other. And But then the Florence doesn't leave you without this little ominous piece of Nona catching right. just a glimpse of the demon in Zol from taking right. the ship heart. Yeah, and someone at some point implies that the demons that come from the ship heart speak in your own voice, 
as opposed to Keote speaks in his own Keote voice, and this is I Perhaps, switch. Back but we and do forth. know that only a demon can enter you if it, like, if you have something in common with it, right? And then I don't know if that's necessarily the case from the Shipheart demons, mm-hmm. or at least we don't necessarily know because we. I just don't know if we know that that's the case with the Shipheart demons yet. Got it. I'm not saying it's I don't think we do, but it's like demons do kind of work with what's going on in you already, and they kind of nurture that piece. But we don't know what's going on with Zoe. All we get is that she sees the glimpse of the shadow, which we know from this book means that like demons exist as shadows on your skin, kind of, and they can travel around. They can't fully be unseen. They have to be seen somewhere on your body. And um, we see that only Nona's the one that, sees the demon in Zol. And we know Nona's kind of sympathetic towards demons, so <laughs> who knows where this is going? She does miss Keo sometimes. <laughs> That's right. Well, th- then the last thing we get is the epilogue. Uh, Lano Taxis is also a jerk. Yes. Yeah. one of my main takeaways. Yes, I saw that in the notes. And then we have the lord, the like ruler of the Noi gun, and then Clara. <laughs> it's a fun moment where like, Clara's like trying to sneak her way up by standing alongside the other two, yeah. and Taxis is like, what the hell? <laughs> well, t- Taxis, we're in his perspective. It's, I don't know, funny is the right word, but it's interesting seeing the way that he thinks of Clara where he just thinks of her as this upstart but she has a role in all of this so he basically tolerates has to keep himself her, yeah. from yeah he tolerates her while keeping himself from hitting her <laughs> and it's it's always interesting when we get to see that like this is how a character we know well from a certain perspective is seen from a different perspective. Yeah. We get to see that know. with Abbas class and Nona which I liked. Yeah. Abbas class saw Nona by the end of this book as like a leader and also as someone who still like had crushes on boys and couldn't quite <laughs> express it, you know? So it's like yeah. interesting to see that perspective of Nona and then same thing here with Clara. Yeah. We get some of that with Regal where Nona <laughs> sees Regal again and she's like, Oh, what am I wearing? <laughs> like, <laughs> Right. Right. <laughs> and it humanizes Nona and rounds her out in a way that I really enjoy. Well, and we also course, get the, the line world is burning. Yeah, the whole <laughs> well, they're speculating on oh, is Nona or sister or Cage going to run away? And basically, the conclusion is well, where would she go? The whole world is on fire, <laughs> which is a great drop to tease us as we head into Holy Sister, Charles. Yep, another great use of the setting by Mark Lawrence here. It's pretty like, what happened that would cause a place that was like freezing to all of a sudden be burning? And it's like, well, maybe they tried to mess with the magnifying glass and it, they didn't know what they were doing. And you, you, who knows? It's part of the mystery and the suspense. And I'm looking forward to, I have not read the third book, so I'm looking forward to reading it and getting the conclusion to this dynamic uh, series. That is The Book of the Ancestor by Mark Lawrence. Well, I have read the third book, but that is not stopping me from being excited as well, <laughs> getting into the conclusion to this whole thing. Charles, how are you feeling two books in? I'm feeling good, man. You know, I thought the second book really picked up and and brought the heat right away. And I'm hoping, you know, it, it also, as many things as it shed light on, it created even more mysteries. 
and I'm excited to see if any of this gets thoroughly explained in the third book and you know I really enjoyed the ending of Broken Empire so I feel pretty enthusiastic about Mark Lawrence's ability to to bring it home in the last book here the series couldn't have said it better myself Charles shall we shall we call it here you have anything else to say um, I mean, I could talk more of the nuances, but seeing as this is like our longest episode to date so far, I think we can just go ahead and play that outro music. Let's play that outro music, and I'll make sure to remind all our listeners where they can reach us. You can find us at the FTF Podcast One on Twitter. Mark Lawrence sure has. Hey, <laughs> but you can also find us on Instagram or Facebook at the FTF Podcast. You can find us on our website, uh, www.theftfpodcast.com. You can send us an email if you like that sort of thing, <laughs> at theftfpodcast at gmail.com. So if they listen to this and thought, hey, a great listen, like certain best-selling authors, what can they do to show their support? Oh, they can definitely toss five stars to our podcast. If they're on Apple Podcasts, really, other <laughs> yeah. than that, uh, I don't know, just tweet us or DM us and say you liked it because that's awesome. Follow too. us, subscribe, Follow whatever us. it takes, you know. That's right. Thank you all so much for listening. And as always, go forth and conquer, friends.